Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. Welcome to the summer of friendship, Ann Friedman. Uh, I really am so looking forward to everything that we have virtually planned for this summer because it is all virtual. <laughs> summer of our book, summer of friendship. You know I love a celebration about friendship. So in honor of the fact that our book is coming out in mere weeks, July 14th, we have planned a special 10-episode series all about the different facets of friendship, specifically big friendship, which is a term we coin and explore in our book. So it is definitely distinct from the book. You should obviously still buy and read that. But it is kind of a a deeper dive into some things that we wanted to talk about more in this format, which is fundamentally different than the process of writing the book together. 100%. And if you've been listening to our podcast from the beginning, some of the stuff will seem very like, duh, aficionado magazine to you. And, uh, you know, you would have picked up on some like autobiographical details, how we met and, you know, like where we've lived and, you know, what jobs we've had and stuff like that. But the truth is that um, it was it's it was not possible for us to tell that story in a podcast format. And so we really had to write a book to get all of it in uh, one place because chronologically, emotionally, physically, it is taxing <laughs> in all of its different ways. And so I am just really excited that we were able to tell this like one joint story. And I'm really excited that, you know, over these next couple of episodes, we are also going to talk about... Um, a lot of the ideas that are in the book and a lot of the concepts that we have been really trying to explain to ourselves and also try to hold on to as we think about how do you stay close to your friends. Well, let's get into it, Anne. Um, Start at the very beginning. (laughs) Let's start at the very beginning. You and I met at prom. Um, (laughs) To be be precise, it was the prom episode in the first season of Gossip Girl. And um, one of the prom episodes, let's be real. There are multiple. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's high school. There are multiple proms. Little (laughs) Jay had to go to all these proms. Oh my God. But um, the concept of like the younger person going to prom will never not be like exciting to me. But anyway, um, you know, we were both invited to this TV watching party at our friend Dio's house. And I that makes us seem like really ancient dinosaurs, but it's true. There was a time where in order to watch television, someone had to have cable. And uh, cable is very expensive. And when we were in our 20s, not a lot of people had cable. I had cable, but that was a foolish financial decision. You've always had priorities. (laughs) Right. I was like, I'm poor. I can't afford to take the bus to work and back, but I definitely have cable. Uh, (laughs) You know, but it's funny, like even dating it that way, because it really is that era of like, you know, cord cutting was like really becoming a norm, right? For for, like so many reasons. But so in order to watch this television show that we really like, someone had to invite you to their house to do that and Dio was a like very new person to me I had only ever hung out with her once before this and she invited me to her house and you were there 
Uh, and I I want to back up just a tiny bit because in a different iteration of our book, it was really kind of 50-50 about how we make close friends and then also how we stay in close friendships. And we kind of realized the, the more we got into it that we were much more interested in that latter question of like, how do you stay friends? And so this early chapter or two of the book and some of these ideas about how we meet people who we really want to stay close to for a long time, those ideas are condensed. I would say only the best stuff remains. <laughs> and um, it is true that Dio brought us together, but it was in the whole process of thinking about why did we actually become friends? Like, why did we hit it off when we sat next to each other at this TV viewing party? And what did that really look like? And did we know that we were going to be in each other's lives for this long? was super interesting to consider. And, you know, one of the interviews we did was with the writer Angela Chen, who has a book coming out this fall about asexuality. And she had some interesting things to say about attraction. She's someone who does not use the barometer, I guess, of wanting to have sex with someone or not as like a factor in her feelings as she tries to figure out how she wants a new person to fit into her life going forward. And so it was interesting to hear her talk about this idea of attraction as like a kind of more mysterious and nebulous feeling that like you might know that you are like really hitting it off with someone or that like you just love everything they have to say or that you are really feeling like an easy rapport when you go back and forth. But you might not exactly know what else is behind that feeling. Like, you know, do you want to date this person? Do you want to sleep with this person? Do you want to be friends with this person? At the very beginning, it's often unclear. And the researchers um, we talked to said the same thing. Attraction is attraction is attraction. And I thought that was so interesting, given that this is a word that we almost always use in like a sexual context. Right. It's like the the language of attraction and the language of seduction and all of those things are always map on um, culturally onto, you know, like sexual romantic relationships. And it was really interesting to really explore that as it actually like maps onto platonic relationships, because, you know, speaking just for myself, I know that the excitement and the thrill and the, you know, like the, that, like, I got to keep up with this person and this other kind of like low level butterfly feeling is also definitely there when you are making a new friend. I just really enjoyed like having um, expert voices, like either confirm or totally shut down like assumptions that we had and really rethinking the concept of what does it mean to think about the beginning of your relationship? Because the other thing too that is true for you and I is that we tell the story of meeting at the Gossip Girl party because it's it's a meet cute. It culturally dates us. It says like a little <laughs> bit about like who we are and what we like about pop culture. And that's so, you know, it's so specific to you and me. But the truth is, is that, you know, we would have probably met some way somehow in our in our DC life because we just had so many tethers. You know, like we we had Dio in common, but outside of Dio, we had literally dozens and dozens of people in common. We had institutions in common. You know, we lived about 15 minutes a walk from each other and we worked really close to each other. And we were also part of this very nebulously large like group of 20 somethings. And so 
even if you and I had not met that night at the TV party, I think that it's fair to say that we would have probably like been invited to the same party or we would have been invited to the same dinner or, you know, we would have had to do a thing for work together. And there's so much of that like unknowable, like, oh, how do you actually even meet? And how does the way that you talk about the way that you met, um, how is that part of the story that you were telling about your friendship and the story that you were telling about yourself? Yeah. And it's funny because I find myself thinking about the like classic reality TV, like I'm not here to make friends. Because the other thing that we really realized in retrospect is like we were both there to make friends. Like <laughs> I specifically went there because I wanted, not because, I mean, I'm also wanted to hang out with Dio and other friends. But one of my motives for the night was that I specifically wanted to befriend you, a person I'd heard about and like seen on the internet in the way you see someone who's part of like an extended friend group and was like, oh yeah, she's someone I would want to be friends with. And I think that part of it also is like really interesting where we had this kind of very, very sweet intentionality, I think. Like there's something very like, very charming about the fact that we can own that we were both there because we wanted to make friends in like a very sincere way. Well, speaking of very charming, there are children in my quarantine pod. So if you are hearing uh, ukulele noises or piano noises, that's what's happening. That's how we live now. Um, Apologies from this side of the audio, but we are just going to roll with it. (laughs) I, um, you know, shout out, shout out to hardworking parents everywhere. I have been humbled and uh, like fully in love with this concept. Shout out to also friendships with people who are way younger than you and might be children. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I love my parent friends and I love my children friends. Um, Um, Yeah, you know, I'm really excited that today we are talking to Dio on on this podcast because she is the person who introduced us. Um, She is also someone that we are both still incredibly close with, which is exciting, you know, because I everyone knows the story of like, uh, this person introduced us and then you cut out the middleman in the transaction. Or at least one of you does. Yeah, right. Or at least one of you that does or whatever. But I think that a thing that always um, I remain very happy about is that we both have, you know, a joint friendship with Dio and also a separate friendship with Dio. And she is she is a recurring like main character in both of our lives and you know it really just goes to this idea of really like friends as a community and friends as a tether I also want to touch on this thing that you said earlier this book is really about how you stay close to your friends it's not about how you make friends because I think for like many reasons right like one um it's not something that in that period in my life, like I particularly struggled with. And I think it's fair to say that that's true for you as well. Answering that question of how you make friends really requires a a kind of expertise and a kind of thoughtfulness that is not, um, that is not my core area of competency. (laughs) And so I think that it's important to make that distinction, right? We were really in this place of exploring like, okay, you have like one significant friend or you have many of them how do you solve the puzzle of where do these people fit in my life and how do they fit in my life for a long time? Yeah, and I think for us, you know, we ended up focusing a lot of this book on things that were hard for us, like things that were difficult for us to navigate. And because the specificity of our story is at the center and we didn't actually struggle with this early part of friendship, it ended up 
it ended up just not quite fitting. There wasn't like as much material there as when it came to things that happened later in our friendship that were more challenging. And so I look forward to the many, many friendship memoirs to come where people can really focus on maybe having the rocky early days of friendship or, you know, some other friendship pattern that also doesn't fit our story because the world has space for for all kinds of versions of this story. Right. Stay tuned for uh, the many next installments of the series that are just about uh, the rocky later days of our friendship. Oh, uh, my God. Wow. Yeah. A preview <laughs> for the rest of summer of friendship. I feel like there's going to be like some summer of friendship doldrums where people are like, wow, we're really going back into this difficult emotional work again. Like it's August. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Listen, yeah. August is the perfect time. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Friendship. It's hard. Uh <laughs> You know, um, like all things rewarding, it's very, very hard. And I'm just really looking forward to exploring that because I think that, you know, this podcast is really has always been about friendship at its core. And I think that we are all really good about talking about every all of the facets of friendship that are positive and that are good. Of course, who doesn't want to shout about those? And they are very, very important often where it has been harder and something that's been a stumbling block for me personally has been talking about the difficulties of it and the, you know, the work that goes into it. And so it feels good to, to really look back on something that we've been working on for the last two years and saying, okay, great. Like I am finally ready to share that with the world. Absolutely. And, and share it in a way that we can both really feel good about, because I think when it comes to friendship strife, Part of the problem is often that you have really different accounts of what's going on. And our process of working on this book allowed us to come to a joint accounting of some really difficult periods where we had very different experiences and reactions to things that were happening in the friendship. And so that is material for this podcast now in a way it never was in the past. And like, I am also very excited to get into it. Well, stay tuned for all summer because we'll be talking about those things. But in the meantime, here is our lovely and wonderful friend, Dayo Olapade. Dayo is a wonderful writer. She is a journalist. She is the author of a brilliant book called The Bright Continent. She also has a newsletter that we are both obsessed with called Two Nouns that you should subscribe to. And she is really a tornado of tech brilliance, a brain, you know, that thinks about everything at the intersection of journalism and media and tech and we are both so proud and honored to know her and really 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 grateful that she introduced us to each other so here she is telling that story so i remember having met amina well i remember meeting Anne like very very clearly um because we were at a show for the blow at the black cat <laughs> it was a time extreme, it was a place throwback <laughs> Oh, oh, well, oh well, exactly. Oh well. Um, and I think I was standing in line, and I hadn't met you because I was uh, a coworker of your your partner Anne at the time. And uh, I was just like, this extremely tall, amazing woman just seems great, and like we will never be friends because we, I don't know how to talk to her. I've gotten over that instinct, but I remember meeting Amina, and it also having a very like immediate like, oh my god, this is going to be so great. I think we went to get some ramen. In Washington. We did. We went to get ramen. I remember that very clearly. Um, and then thinking, oh my God, you need to meet my friend Anne. I think Anne and I had like at least a year and a half under our belt as, as friends and fellow travelers. But I was like, oh, well, this is going to work out great. Almost like the way a Yenta feels. Um, mostly because it was just like always going to be generative. Like I felt like, oh, it would be great for all of us to be hanging out. Um, this feels like a really natural fit with like what I am doing with my life and the, hey, what are you doing tonight crew? 
And then I remember thinking, I probably sent an, you an email, Anne, being like, um, I want to introduce you to this person. You guys should come over. And I think at the time we were watching Gossip Girl with some frequency, another <laughs> huge time like dating reference. And I wanted to host it at my house so that I could invite you, I think. I think it would have been a little weird. What is the etiquette for inviting like a new person into someone else's situation? I'm very cavalier about that these days, but I remember feeling like it was important that it be at my house. Yeah, and then I think you guys just came over and then we watched Gossip Girl and there was like much discussion. I don't have much, I don't have much signal on what the rest of the night looked like, but that was what it felt like. There's definitely, Dio, a, like a G-chat conversation between you and me where you're like, where we're planning, where you in particular are planning this logistically, like, okay, I'm going to host so that you can meet this girl, I mean, not to, who I love. Like, you know, like it was very much like, you know. There was some intention. You engi- it was, yes, exactly. It was not just like a whoops, we ended up at the same yes. place. Yeah. <laughs> there was a little bit of like planning. Meanwhile, I, re- I remember feeling very nervous because I was like going to your house, Dio, and I knew that there would be other people there. And I was just, you know, like that, that part of like new in town where you're like, oh, I have to meet all these new people all the time. And so the feeling of like, I felt like I was stepping into someone's situation. Mm. But I like, I had had so much fun at our dinner so what's interesting is that it did seem calculated to like lower the temperature on any potential awkwardness. Like for us to have gone out or for me to have like been like, you guys go hang out would have been like a little weird for how early it was in the relationship I was building with Amina. And so it was like, mm-hmm. there are all these like other buffer gossip girl people who are like the extras in this situation, <laughs> all of whom are wonderful <laughs> and we're still friends with. But it was definitely like, they were kind of like room meet to kind of pad out the situation. Um, and also, I think we all remained friends for some time while we were in D.C. We did. And also, it just, it happened so fast, too, because, you know, like, the time that I went to see, got, like, when I went to your house to watch Gossip Girl, that was the only second time ever that we had hung out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we, like, you know, you were, like, my African sister from, like, the minute that I met you. Oh, my so gosh. I was like, this is, I'm like, I was like, this is absolutely going to work out. You know, like, the the white people in the equation I was not sure about. But, like, you, I was like, <laughs> yes. Like, we well, have. I, 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 I be honest, this happens to me a lot. I feel like I'm, one, I'm, like, really generally pretty opinionated, but also like form opinions quickly. And so I feel like for a lot of my like adult life, when I find so it's like a kind of love at first sight kind of thing where I'm just like, oh yeah, this person's energy is great. I want more of it. And I think I'm pretty deliberate about then being like, let's be friends. Part of it is because I moved a ton. I had to make a bunch of new friends often, but it's something that like, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. Right. And then, I mean, the thing that happened with us, too, is that we like obviously we're all people who like follow up. We want to hang out. But then I think it was literally that same week, like where we all ended up at the same place. And I was like, this is the kind of kismet that you can't like I'm like, you can't buy this stuff. So I want to say that there is an element of it where it's kind of like, oh, how nice that everything kind of worked out. But it's like I think intentionality is really important. And I think even recamping, like thinking through this now, there was a lot more intention to it. And I think that being passive about constructing the life you want to lead, right, to have like a bigger message here, um, might not always lead to the right outcome, right? I think I think being very careful and intentional about things is is where I've landed. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that you are still in both of our lives and we are in each other's lives. Like the three of us are very like intentional convener types when it comes to friendship. Yes. Like if there's a spectrum from like, I don't do anything. I don't lift a finger to like, I am fully engineering my social reality. Like we <laughs> fall, we definitely fall like Fun on will be the had from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. 
be there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely we're definitely like the, on the Mount Olympus of like engineering friend hangouts. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I think it. I think it's a lesson that like goes beyond this kind of thing, though. Where it's like it kind of like seems cool to not try, but like there is ROI. This is this is the insight. I feel like. <laughs> Wow, did you just make a rhyme about trying an ROI? Oh, man. <laughs> Try <Yeah>. ROI. <laughs> but I think that's right. I think that's right. And I, I think uh, it's like the duck is gliding on the water, but like the legs are paddling. And I think that's definitely how I feel in a lot of situations. And certainly, you know, making new friends and such. One thing that's come up at like in our book is our different ideas about like what it means to be a connecting friend, like what kind of level of responsibility you bear or what kind of stewardship responsibility you bear when you introduce two friends to each other. And just like wondering your thoughts on that question and like how involved you try to stay or, or responsibility, that kind of thing. That's a great one. So, I mean, I love you guys. You're definitely like my most successful matchmaking friendship, but I've also introduced people who are like getting married, um, who I was also very close to on each side. And one of the rules of engagement for their courtship was that I would have like a kind of Chinese firewall, like I wasn't going to speak to either one of them about the other, because I just thought it would make things too complicated for the individual relationships. That's not a norm, right? I actually think there is some responsibility in terms of, one, like maintaining the strong ties you have between the friends individually. And naturally, if you're all friends, you're just going to want to hang out with each other all the time. So um, I don't I don't think of it as a duty. If anything, I just didn't want to interfere with the existing relationship I had with those two friends who were getting married, nor did I want to interfere with my own relationship with each of them. So I was like very careful about that one. But generally speaking, I just think it's more convenient when your friends are friends with each other. Like call it a kind of like laziness principle. Like it's just way easier if all my friends marry each other and all my friends are friends with all my other friends. And so it's worth the effort to kind of curate <laughs> and make sure people stay in touch. Have you had have you had an experience where like things don't go well or like when there is conflict and how do you navigate like I'm not asking you to like out <laughs> some other set of friends or whatever but how do you navigate the responsibility to kind of intervene or step up or or don't you feel it or is it situational I actually feel like I'm pretty agnostic about making sure friends who know each other through me remain friends because if the energy is good and the energy's there, the energy can sustain itself and like everyone's a grown up. And if it's not, then more's the pity. But I don't feel like I need to be like, are you sure? Like, how are you guys doing? <laughs> is everything okay? Have you been hanging out recently? Um, well, I mean, like less than how are you sure? How's everyone doing? But uh, uh, like a uh, or both of them or one of them coming to you and saying like, hey, this is actually not going well. Mm. Not as a like, hey, will you please hold our hand? But mostly like you are somebody who knows both of us. Like, how mm. do you navigate this? Oh, yeah. No, I think that that's a really important kind of like part of a triangle or whatever geometry you want to lay over it, because a lot of what friendship is, is really just like being vulnerable and like giving and getting advice, right? Because it's really hard to get perspective and friends give you the psychological safety to kind of seek those perspectives. And it makes perfect sense that you would want to do that about another relationship where someone would have that insight. So I think that that's super important, but I definitely have been like, uh, you're crazy. Like that's typical for that person. Or 
let that roll off your shoulder. Like they're always late or whatever, whatever the thing is, because like, <laughs> I have the context. <laughs> Which might Are be the unifying feature of many now? of my friendships. No, <laughs> but it's like giving them a sense of like a yardstick where they can calibrate the behavior. It's like, oh, that's actually just how that person is or that happened to me and here's how I swam through that. Or um, yeah, actually that does sound kind of weird. Like let me also then like, poke that and like check in if it's something maybe more like serious or macroscopic. Um, but yeah, it's just context. I'm like, I'm going to assume that you listen to our show every once in a while, but like no pressure. And I am just like really curious if you sense a difference between like who we are on the show or who we are like generally publicly versus like who you know us to be. So I think that listeners of the podcast might be surprised to find out that in real life, you guys speak in full, complete sentences with multiple clauses and highly intelligent, like, sub-clauses and brilliant <laughs> references. Like, seriously, I think that there is, in terms of actually a way I think a lot of our friends speak, it's actually not that different, right? And, and I hesitate to bring up the example of, remember, like, when Dawson's Creek came out? And everyone was like, how are these teenagers just like speaking in full sentences with like complicated references? I actually think that a lot of the way you guys express yourselves is exactly how you express yourselves. And you also care about the issues that you talk about, like for real, and there's nothing affected about it. I think that there's probably a difference in like the amount of disclosure about like details. I'm having a hard time even now, like trying to keep like a little bit of a, like a cling film between the things that we would talk about um, kind of on the real in real life and something that's being recorded. But I would say that's the only real wrinkle. But otherwise, like, I think you are who you are. And I think when I'm listening to the podcast, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I feel like I've caught up with Anne. And then I'm like, no, I actually have to, like, call Anne in actual life. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you guys yes, get that. Yes, always call Anne. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, call Amina, please, also. Mm -hmm. She will appreciate mm -hmm. it. <laughs> I would also say, I mean, like, so much of friendship is just, like, sitting alone in a room together, right? And so that's not captured because it's a verbal podcast but like how much of time do you guys spend as friends or do we spend with our various friends like literally sitting quietly while like someone's reading a magazine and someone's like watching tv or you're walking and just like experiencing things or you're sitting in a park and you know as someone whose primary love language is quality time and someone who's incredibly verbal i actually would say my friendships or the relationships i hold closest are probably 50 50 like silence and noise and that can't be captured on the podcast. Yeah, no, seriously, if I could have a podcast where Anne and I just read the paper side by side and do nothing. Pages turning, uh, and people rustling. Just, <laughs> and, people, and people just get the ASMR version of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's our performance audio piece. <laughs> performance art audio. <laughs> Listen, it's a whole sub-community. You guys could be famous for that. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, but before we do, we have a little favor to ask you as we set up our episodes for later this summer. We are looking for your questions and stories about being in long-term friendships, specifically stories about times when things were really difficult between you or moments when your friendship was challenged. You can call in, leave us a little voicemail about your rough patch, or maybe ask us a question about it, and uh, we want to listen. That's 714-681-2943. 714-681-CYGF. So one of the other things that we have been writing about that I have found myself a little surprised about is um, like writing about interracial friendship, which sounds nuts that I'm surprised about because 
one glaring difference between Anne and I is that we are, uh, you know, we are different races. Mm -hmm. But that is something that, you know, in this friendship, at least, it's not a difference that has ever, uh, that I've ever had to like clock. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With both with like time and the times that we live in, it feels that it's something that, you know, it's something that is always at the surface, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. And so... I am having all of these like very intense revelations about a lot of my friendships with uh, white women specifically recently. And I'm wondering if you have any like kind of big idea level things to say about that. Ooh. Well, so I think inevitably you're you meaning like a person who is not from the sort of majority background in whatever context you find yourself in. Because keep in mind, like, Amina and I are like first generation Americans from African countries. And so there's definitely an experience where I've lived in Africa and where, you know, um, there's been someone who isn't part of the majority culture. So I want to be more general when I say that when you're in that experience of being the minority, I think that there is this kind of visibility that um, is just that you live with. And if your friends don't understand that that is something that you're living with, then they don't understand something about you. And the second thing there is that I feel like you can't really hold people fully accountable for things, at least in an intimate partner relationship setting, that you haven't actually communicated to them. So I spent a lot of time communicating my feelings about race, right? Which I think hopefully in a lot of settings de-risks having the conversation. And that means like, it's not like, and now we're going to sit and have the long national conversation on race that like the country's supposed to be having at like a Starbucks, but that I just like bring it up <laughs> a lot because it's on my mind and I don't like censor that because of who I'm around, whether it's like my pod of like people of color or people who are in more mixed settings. So I actually think, while I hate the idea of being like an educator, I think it can be extremely casual and extremely helpful for people to like experience through just being around someone, their experience of race, specific aspects of it that are on their mind, or even just like stupid shit that happened to them, right? I mean, it's not like I only talk about microaggressions with my friends who are people of color. I've told a story about a boss of mine who commented on my hair every day for six weeks, right? To lots of different friends, just because it's a funny story. But I think for those who had been like, oh, wow, I didn't actually know like how Daya feels about her hair, that offered them an opportunity to get that. So I just think being super open and chill about it and actually being like unafraid to talk openly is meaningful because if the person is paying attention to you as a friend, they're paying attention to all of you. Yeah, I think it's interesting because one one way that this has kind of come up for us is that things that like we were both aware had happened in the course of our friendship, it was in a couple of cases, like really being pushed to talk about the, them and examine them, sometimes specifically through the lens of this chapter on interracial friendship, where we were like, oh, wow, like that actually was about race for both of us, or it was about race for Amina in a way that like Anne didn't clock at the time, or it was like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it was, wow, and I just third personed myself on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but I know I am like chills right now. <laughs> I know, Amina, the book, the book is like coming into other, it's bleeding, they're bleeding together. I do think that like there's this aspect of, you know, trying to talk about all present aspects of your life. And then there's also particularly like in the context of our friendship, like this big gap in our like racialized experience of the world that is so big and so deep that in some cases 
one of us didn't have words for it or one of us couldn't even notice that that was a facet of what might have been read mm-hmm. between like two friends of the same race as just a misunderstanding or like I don't know I guess I that's that's yeah, sort no, of a fumbly I, way I, to say it I think I understand what you're saying which is that it's not always you don't always have words for a thing that's happening and I think I've realized like the longer I spend time with the more someone knows me the more they can tell like when I'm having when I'm responding to something or what is going to make me feel vulnerable or irritated or when I'm going to be like, Ugh, oh, my God, white people. Like, it's predictable. <laughs> um, and sometimes <laughs> it's not verbal, right? And so I think in those situations, it's just about putting in the hours to kind of sense things. And I also don't want to put the onus on the person who's experiencing it to feel like they have to talk about it all the time because that is also like a pain in the ass. Sometimes you just want to like watch Netflix. But I think there is a kind of intuition that develops and hopefully, like, you know, opportunities to debrief in a way that's, like, really honest about encounters or interactions that are going to be experienced differently. Um, and I've had, you know, in my so I'm my personal relationship. Like, my partner is, um, you know, he's half Latino. And so I've had to just completely open my mind to, like, the experiences of his community and his geography and all the different ways he's different from me, right, in the world. And that has made me, like, a better listener and more, more intuitive and sort of more open-minded about things and more perceptive and mixed group settings. I think that's a real benefit of having friendships across identities. Mm. So, you know, everyone go out and get you some. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that I think that that's fair, right? But I think that um, the thing that I am particularly stuck on right now is the fact that, you know, it's one thing to be having like an aha moment when you're both having the realization. And it is another thing to feel like you are the one, your lived experience is the one that is always the lesson for someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sucks. Which, like, that particularly, like, really sucks. And it's also, like, a gap that becomes, like, then harder and harder to bridge. Yeah, and and look, I think there's a big difference between friends for whom I know I'm their only black friend and friends, Anne would be a good example. We know you have at least two. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I mean, like, this this is a thing... But Dyer, like this was a, like a huge, like a thing that I only realized later when we started writing the book is that part of the reason that I was like, oh, um, you know, like Anne at least like knows what is going on is because she was introduced to me by a black woman. Mm. That would be like mm. very, that would have been like a very kind of, you know what I mean? It was a kind right. of like endorsement. Yeah. It was a kind of endorsement early on. And I remember also like a conversation with you about it early on that was very, you know, like the conversations that like black people have where you're only using half of your words or like, is she, is she, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, sure. Is she down? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, is she down? Like, sure. You know, there really is something about like knowing that you are not someone's only like black friend, Absolutely. for example. I have zero interest in collecting a new friend. I can't be your first like anything. It, like, this is an advanced <laughs> course. Like, this is an advanced course. So you need to like come with like your homework done. But it's, you know, like it's a thing that like probably when I was 22, uh, it like didn't matter as much. Yeah. Or like I didn't have I didn't have enough insight into that. But I do find it like particularly like weird when that is a situation that I'm confronted with now. Well, this is okay. So this is this is this is why we are magic. Right. Sorry. And I think it's like if you spend if you've spent 20 years hanging out around me like, oh, you're going to know some black people. You're going to know a bunch of different kinds of people of color. <laughs> right. So it's 100%, like the cumulative 100%. effect. <laughs> Not just because these are people who are my, like, immediate family, right? Which may be the experience for when I was in, like, grade school, elementary school. Like, if you got to know me, you got to know my sister and my cousins and my parents. But also just because, like, that's the life that I'm leading. And so if you're in it, like, it's going to be about that at some point. 
And I would say even like, so I live in the UK now, and I think it's a very different environment, and we don't have to go too off-piste on that discussion, but I actually find it a very distinct experience in terms of the like density of like communities of color and the way they interact with overall like British culture. So yeah, I just think it's if you're spending the time with someone who's from a background of a certain kind, like you're going to get more and more people from that perspective, right? Birds of a feather kind of thing. Inshallah. <laughs> yeah. And also layer onto that the fact that I only want my friends to be friends with my other friends and like, you know, you just kind of get like enormous WhatsApp groups full of really interesting women of color or whatever. Well, you live in the UK now, which is very far away from both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're the friend that like you always get on the plane. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your feelings about long distance friendship, like how it's hard, how you keep the flame alive. Yeah. So I travel a lot. That's been true for a long time, which means two things. One, it means that I do have a lot of friendships that operate over vast distances, but I'm also like just as likely to kind of like be in your town next week. (laughs) Um, And I think that's been because I I wrote a book and I did a book tour that year was the year I saw so many people because I was like, I'm in Austin, pop up one night only. Like, um, and by the way, friends who were in each of these cities like met each other and they're like, oh, we are Dio's friends in LA or we are Dio's friends in like Dallas. So that was great. So there's two things. One, I've moved four times in the last 10 years. We all left, well, Anne and I left DC almost the same week, but then I I moved to Nairobi, I moved to New Haven, I moved to New York, and then I moved to London. So I spent all this time kind of like needing to reestablish ties in a local place while also connecting to places I had been and connecting those groups of people to the places that I wasn't living in at the time. So my big strategy is just like, everybody download WhatsApp, Sorry to plug a Facebook product, TM, but it just feels like <laughs> what like when I started gonna, this journey. We're gonna get them to sponsor this episode. Yeah. It's fine. When I left DC, I was on like Team Blackberry, right? Remember everybody had BBM. And so oh you Oh my just, god. Like, yes, throwback. <laughs> so it really is like uh, technology has improved significantly. You were my friend that clung on to BBM longer than anybody else, but that's because you were traveling to Africa all the time. Exactly. So I was in Nairobi and everyone used BBM. But really like What I have found is it's just as easy now. I mean, I think about my parents who are immigrants, like they left the US when they were like in their 20s and they were still doing like airmail and those little blue paravion envelopes. Shout Mm. to anyone who's got immigrants parents and remembers that. Um, Or using phone cards. I still have them, don't worry. (laughs) I had a boyfriend in college who was like living, who was French and so we didn't even have Skype. Like I think I had to use like an international student phone card to call him on a landline. So tech has definitely made things a lot easier. I also think, you know, I'm realizing I'm kind of turning into my mom. She's basically like spends all Sunday like cooking food in huge quantities and like calling everyone in her phone. So there's definitely a lot of like ethnic auntie behaviors that are useful in this situation. (laughs) But I also think when I travel, I do make a point to let people know I'm going to be there and sort of clear space in a busy business trip for personal time um, to reconnect with people. It's not perfect, but those are the tactics, right? Just letting people know you're thinking of them. I think that might even be advice from you, Anne. Like when someone comes to mind or when I see something random, I can send it to them and say, yo, like, thought you would like this. And um, at some point, the clock since we last saw each other will go back to zero. Um, And at that point, you know, you begin again. Do you still use your spreadsheet 
Dio, do you remember t- telling me about this like a couple of years ago? Yeah. That so. you had like a spreadsheet of last contact. Do you still do that? Please talk about I'm a, that. I'm so demented in the best way. So this was, this was guidance from a second friend who does not believe that you can have more than like 10 friends. I do not believe that. I believe that you can have like, you know, 10 times that. But um, in her opinion, it was that like, the only way to make sure that you actually have those 10 friends is to like rigorously track your engagement with them. And I tried this, and I think at the time I told Anne about it, and then I kind of stopped doing it because it's more something that's it's intuitive and it's in my head. But I do think that one of the things that's important when I haven't seen someone for a while, even if I've talked to them intermittently, is not to do the thing where you recap what's happened since you've seen each other last where you're like previously on Dio or like previously on Amina, like here's what you missed. Like you should just hang out. Like you might only have a couple of hours and it might be another six months. So just don't do the yada yadas. Just like take a walk, like get into the thing, like take the shot. Don't do all the yada yada, like unpacking of things that have happened unless there's something that you're like looking for guidance on or is actually important. Because so much of, again, super, super seriously expressing quality time is my love language. That's like the primary way I feel loved. I just want to be around people and I'll go out of my way to do it. That's not as like anal as keeping a spreadsheet, but it is something that I will prioritize above almost everything else. So in that sense, like it's pretty um, fanatical, but I think it's because it makes me feel good and I love my friends. What's your perception of how our friendship, as in like mine and Amina's, has changed or fluctuated like over the time that you've known us both? Ooh, that's a great one. Um, So I think that you both are very like tender and respectful of each other's individual personalities. And I think that's been really constant. Like first comes knowledge, then comes action. And so getting to know each other initially was kind of like, okay, you both have different needs in terms of like your levels of extroversion and like the kinds of activities you like to do, the things you like to eat, like whatever, right? The sort of basic like physical comfort, like what makes you tick. And I think that you both have a really well-developed sense of respect for whatever someone's thing is, like that can be their thing. Like you guys are not evangelists. And actually I love that about both of you. You're not like come into this thing and like, I actually have evangelical tendencies as a person, but you guys don't. <laughs> oh, you're definitely a cult leader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, everybody, want to go over here and do this thing? Uh, I think you guys are actually really respectful of each other's differences. And I think that that is a quality you share and that is really compatible and probably has like endured for a long time in that you're like, you don't really feel like doing that? That's good with me, right? <laughs> um, at the same time, I think you guys have a lot of the like finish each other sentences kind of like shared just like attitudes about life, which I think is really nice. And I think that has to do with like your politics for lack of a more precise way of describing it. It's like, there's no first principles arm wrestling over like, are women people, right? <laughs> or is that funny? <laughs> like, no, I mean, candidly, I think it's, it's, it's not to be taken for granted. Like I am definitely the kind of person who tries to be open-minded, but isn't. Um, and like, I don't want to have any first principles arguments with my people about like what we believe. And so I think you guys have a lot of shared beliefs that are also mutually reinforcing. I think you guys probably both learn a lot from each other. I think like working together, and obviously Gina is a part of it as well, is just a really unusual thing to introduce into a friendship. Um, And I think you've handled it pretty gracefully. And I think there are some people that you literally just like don't get tired of. But I think that inevitably there will be a moment where it's like, okay, we just need our own space. I think that's been maybe mitigated by the fact that you guys don't live in the same place. 
And it's like when I go on a business trip and I come back, I'm like super happy to see my husband. I'm like super happy to see everybody. <laughs> and so I think that, that that probably affects how you're able to keep a kind of harmonious balance and not like burn out the energy and like the real love you have for each other. Um, yeah, I think that's it. And I also think you guys are both really welcoming of like you're not rivalrous in terms of other friendships. I think that's really important. It's not like this person is like taking my person's time away from me. Like, how could you, right? It's like getting a new sibling or like a cat. <laughs> Some people will be like, who's this new person in my life? But I think probably all three of us, and certainly you two, have this attitude where it's like the more the merrier. If this person's energy is like on the same wavelength, like all the better. Um, and I also think you guys probably are pretty real with each other. There are some friendships that have not been sufficiently formed, like the gelatin has not fully firmed up yet, where it's a little bit delicate and you need to kind of like protect it and maybe wait for it to emerge before you can like offer the real talk, like never wear those pants. <laughs> um, but I feel like <laughs> but I feel like you guys are real with each other. And I, weirdly, a lot of people who spend a lot of time together aren't. Or it's like, that's how you know it's like a kind of acquaintanceship as opposed to like something that you're in a repeat game where you're building for the long term, which is what I think you guys have done. Wow, I'm like all of these compliments. What? I know, Dio. Um, can't, I can't <laughs> handle it. I cannot handle it. Never can handle praise. But I think so. You uh, never see <laughs> the inside of a relationship. Like that's the whole point of them, right? Right. But I do think that like there's a kind of sonar with friendship. Like they make us who we are. You're like bouncing your personality off of like things and people so that it's reflected back to you. And so good friendships like produce true knowledge about yourself, even just inexplicitly or subliminally, as opposed to actually getting feedback on who you are. Like, I do think you were like the sum of the people you spend your time with. And so there is, you guys have like, maybe you were a lot similar like in the, when you first met, but I feel like there's a kind of convergence of style and tone, um, which I think surprises people probably because you guys could not have come from different, more different backgrounds, let's say, or like be phenotypically more different or whatever. But I think that that's good. Like, I think it kind of complicates people's idea about like who should be with each other. Yeah, I mean, for all the background differences, it's true that we both come from places where the first question is like, oh, are you related to this man who shares that surname? Like, you know, <laughs> like, like right. there, there are some like there are some cultural through lines that are like surprising that I feel like, especially in the early days, we really like we're like, yes, that is the same. <laughs> it's the same. Also, you know, birth order is my real. Horse oh, horse, yeah. So oh, interesting. I'm like, mm. I'm I'm friends with a lot of firstborns. Uh, you're one of my few friends who is not the oldest. I mean, and so but you it's but you are like a very but you're a very independent younger sibling. So like, I think that that counts for something. Yes, surely. That's a really interesting overlay. Oh, yeah. Most of my friends are all oldest siblings. I like I do the census like frequently and it's like you, Amanda. There's like so few people in my life that I'm very close to who are not the oldest. But every time they're either only children or they're like very, very independent, like younger siblings that you would never tell were younger siblings. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's interesting. I'm going to start pulling people. I was going to say more about love languages because I think they're important. Oh, please do. Well, it doesn't really matter what you are, but I feel like there's so much emphasis placed on like romantic relationships and like so many online quizzes about it. And it's kind of a part of the zeitgeist, especially amongst people who are all about these like lengthy self-improvement games. But I think what's been interesting about the offline conversations we've had about friendship and my own experiences with friendship and seeing yours and having my own is that it's really like you've got to kind of tell people what your style is 
or they'll get it over time. But you know, you know what it is? You don't have to match someone's particular style. You just have to know what their style is and kind of like complement it. And I think that's 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 what's working well. And that's why love languages are really interesting. Right, because the the point of the love languages is that everybody thinks that the way that they receive love is the way that like other people receive love. Yeah, or that's exactly. the way that you should be giving love. And that's usually where the tension is, right? It's like it doesn't matter that like somebody's love language is physical touch and the other person's love language is of words of affirmation. It just matters if that's the only way that you're interacting with each other right. or or where the lack is. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really funny, like the I think like part of the reason that the three of us are able to be friends, both like as a group and individually, is that we are like very verbal people. Yes. I think that's right. And you know, so inevitably whether you want to or not, you do end up telling people how to treat you <laughs> and you know, like what's bugging you or whatever. And so that's the thing that I like writing this book and also like examining a lot of my dynamic with the two of you that I think about is that yeah, like it's everything the therapists say is, is right. It's like communication, communication, communication. Communi like that's the only way like through any kind of relationship. Right. We're all very opinionated ladies. We are, you know, like it's, it's very hard to not know what we're thinking, but I think that emotionally <laughs> that's something that we've like, even over the years that we've had to mine through. Yeah. And we're all, we're each of us are really different from the other in like key ways. But I think there's like a, yeah, it's interesting to find like, what are the things that are common? What are the things that are not? And also just like, what's the right way to not just have an insight, but then communicate it, right? Because I think those are two different projects. And I think that's that's the work. Right. And that's also a project that comes with time. I think that like, you know, we keep talking about our friendship in relation to how we met. But the truth is that like, we're also people who have changed over the last couple of years. Totally. Like nothing like drastic, but people be changing all the time. Mm -hmm. That you have to keep up with that change of velocity in all of your relationships. Otherwise, it also doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Well, also like... Shout out to Dio for the metaphor of friendship sonar. It's like, right, like if you're changing, you are in different relation to each other as time goes on. And like, there has to be some mechanism, whether it's like words or spending time together and acknowledging it or what of like saying, right. this is what's going on. And yeah, this yeah, is yeah, like exactly. how to I'm going to find you in the muck. To yeah. Like calibrate the scale <laughs> again or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's totally right. And weirdly, like, Ugh, I don't want to be too personal about something that isn't my like story to tell. But I do think that like people's friendships just like dwindle in number over the years. And then they find themselves kind of unhappy because they haven't like done the work to maintain those friendships. And because friends make us who we are, they're just kind of like, then who am I? And it's like super existentially stressful. So I do think it's about like, how do you maintain? And, and by the way, I think like no friendship, no relationship can offer you everything you need. Right. That's the other thing that I think people don't fully understand, particularly in the context of romantic love and like long term partnership. Like you just have to get your like gossip girl or whatever or you're like, you know, I have friends who don't even listen to music with lyrics. I love them. But like once in a while, like mama's got to go out and listen to some music with lyrics. <laughs> right. Like, and it's like that is fine. And even can be that like I need a space where it's like strict, strictly women or I need a space where it's like strictly POCs. And like that is part of refreshing my sense of identity so that I can be who I am for my friends. You know, part of the the growing the growing older and finding that your friendships have dwindled, one, you know, like one hypothesis for it is that like you did not prioritize your friendships and you prioritize other kinds of relationships and like now here we are. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or is it that like as you get older, it is actually just like harder to like keep to maintain friendships? And that's the thing that I, um, you know, 
I think that it's a little bit of both probably, but it's something that I think about a lot. Ugh, I guess we're going to find out. I don't know. I don't, I mean, <laughs> it's like this whole bowling alone thing is like so stressful because it's like, I think people just haven't been like habituated to care as much about friendship as they should. And I hopefully your book will change that because it's like, no guys, like this is, this is a very important aspect of your humanity. Um, and maybe in previous generations when like multi-generational households and like slightly larger nuclear families were more prevalent in more parts of the world, I think you kind of just had like a built-in squad um, and people are now right, like cousins. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, I have 41 cousins like come at us. Like same, we go win your tug same. of war. I, um, <laughs> I, have a hun- I have a hundred plus cousins, always yeah. friends. <laughs> like you, I kind of had this built in ride or die squad that was like the what are we doing tonight crew, which is kind of what I call like all my local relationships. But now people have to fight a little harder and they haven't been taught to do that. And so and there's all these distractions and lots of things that like, you know, can isolate you, whether it's. Just you're just people aren't as open, and it's harder to make friends than people expect, especially after you've left like all the years, which you were if you're in school or something, where you just meet new people all the time, or whether you're meeting new people in a working environment. And so they're just not like the muscle memory hasn't been built. And so people aren't prepared for what's what that will mean for them if they are not like doing the work and like going to the friend gym now. <laughs> Oh my God, did you just write our jacket copy? Like, <laughs> I feel like we should just deputize you to sell to sell this book and like the it's necessity the of it. Yeah. <laughs> leave your leave your job. Tell them they don't need you. We got you. We got you. We'll offer you some stock options. Got it. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm so happy that you guys are doing it because I just don't think people talk about it enough. It's really, it's really weird. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, hopefully it all works out. We'll we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> I mean, it definitely for sure, 100% will. I believe in you guys. It's going to be amazing. Um, oh, man. Dio, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Anna. I was just going to say thanks for being our friend, Dio. And I'm really just like feeling very grateful for like proximity to your brain right now. Like not <laughs> physically, but in every other sense. Yeah. I know. I know. Thank you, Dio. You are the best. You are the very best. I miss you guys. I actually talk to you reasonably often but it is nice to talk to you in this setting but I think about friendship with some intention and part of it is because of you guys so I'm grateful for that Dio Olapade ladies and gentlemen doesn't listening to that just feel like a family reunion (laughs) Uh, I miss our friend very much so that actually is um, before I get really emotional I'm going to log off and say um that I love Dio, I love you, Anne. Uh, to the listeners, please buy our book uh, because we need the money and also because we would love for you to read the book. <laughs> and also on a practical <laughs> note, you can find the links to do that in many places at bigfriendship.com. And we are also going to do several different types of virtual events around the book um, where you can see our faces on the internet. Like what? Weird. We never do that. And those links and uh, dates and times are also all at bigfriendship.com. Hey, good job, Ann Friedman. I'll see you on the internet, my friend. I will see you on the internet all summer long. You can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. You can call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books. 
Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Smead. We have editorial support from Laura Bertacci. Producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. <laughs>